Hey everyone, welcome to episode three of the Lonely Mountain Mystics podcast. Today we're talking about God, or maybe more accurately, how we're currently thinking about God. Uh, Just a few quick reminders before we get started. We have a website at LonelyMountainMystics.com where you can connect with us. There's a blog there and a few other things like the show notes. You can also support us by going to the website and clicking Become a Patron. That will take you to our Patreon page where you can donate at one of several tiers. The first tier starts at just $1 a month and they all come with little extras, which is just our way of saying thank you. Remember that we want to hear from you. We'd love to get your feedback or hear your stories. Right now, we're just four guys in a room, and we're very aware of how boring and one-dimensional that's going to get. So, while we're in talks to bring on some guests, uh, we really want to hear from you, too. Finally, if you do enjoy the podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways you can show your support, and it helps others discover us as well. Okay, so, God. I want to begin this episode with a quote from theologian Thomas J. Ord. I think it'll start us off on the right foot. So he says, quote, Who is God? Is there a question more difficult to answer? And is anyone more foolish than the one who thinks they can give a full and wholly accurate answer? I don't pretend to offer a full or wholly accurate description. I don't claim to understand God completely or be certain. I do think we have grounds to speculate about God's nature. Sacred texts can help us. I think the revelation of God we find in Jesus is particularly illuminating. We can also draw wisdom from tradition, contemporary experiences, sages and saints, science and humanities, reason, and more. Our vision of God will always be obscured. It's as if we're looking through distorted glasses, but we have reasons to think we can see something. End quote. All right, let's dive in. All right, so we're here to talk about God this episode. Devin, do you kind of want to make the bridge, make the connection between the previous episode that we just talked about language and why we put that there and where we're going now? Yeah, so we originally wanted to focus on discussing language because when you're describing God, you're using language. So I really encourage everybody to go listen to that episode before this one, because as we talk, there's going to be limitations. There's going to be places where language fails, but also places where language maybe steps in in unexpected ways. And the language episode is going to give you a really good foundation for how we're, you know, how we're going to handle this conversation piece. Cool. All right. So I have a few questions that I'm interested to ask everyone. They're very basic questions. I'm pretty sure we're just going to solve the whole God thing (laughs) in the next 20 minutes to an hour. All right. So question one, who or what is God? Ah. Yeah. So super easy. The most basic. (laughs) Super light. These were those light questions that you talked about in episode one. So I'll say that it's not an easy question, but it is kind of a basic in the sense that it's a foundational question, right? To kind of what we're talking about. And you don't, obviously, I don't expect anyone to have a a full and complete answer that would go against (laughs) what we're about. And feel free to say you don't know, or just kind of explain where you're at at the moment. For me, my views on God have actually not changed much. 
I think I've talked about this in previous episodes. It's more of a comfort level with having these thoughts. And now that I'm comfortable in them, I'm really getting to explore them with more depth. So for example, is God a man? That question alone, back whenever I grew up in the South, it was a very certain question. Now, when I look at it, it's less certain and the mystery and the beauty to me is really enjoyable. And the idea of looking at God's femininity is really awesome. Having conversations with my wife when we talk about God as a father and she's had negative experiences with male interactions, with religious male interactions, having conversations about God as mother or God as a beautiful woman. The personification of the Holy Spirit is often wisdom in the Bible. So talking about God as this beautiful woman, worthy of being desired, worthy of being sought at, worthy of being chased after, it changes the idea of God in a whole new way. That's really amazing. And now that I feel more comfortable with these questions, I've given myself permission to dive deeper into the idea of what is God? Who is God? So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Cool. Well, what are your thoughts, man? <laughs> I think it, just to try to answer the question most directly, like who or what is God, I would say that I've come to a place where I see God as the foundation of being or the ground of existence. So what I mean by that is I used, so I used to think of God as a being, now I tend to think of God as as being, that all of our existences are rooted in the kind of like giftedness that we have, like with with being alive. We didn't ask to be here, but yet here we are. In some cases, people see that primarily as an act of suffering, uh, which I, I don't disagree with, but I definitely think that there's some kind of creative aspect to God. I think the question of, do I think God has agency? I think that, that the jury's still out in, in my mind on that. I'm not really sure how much, I, how much I think about that currently. But I definitely think that like the point of origin of the universe, like if people call just the act of the universe's creation God, like I'm, like I'm fine with that. We're probably describing the same thing. To that extent, maybe I see God as transcendental. I also see God as like intimate with those moments where you, we feel connection among, just amongst one another as humans, where we feel a deep connectedness to ourselves. I think that's, I think that's divine. And I think that that's uh, I think that's very God-like. Whereas I think I used to say, or I used to think that was God trying to communicate to us in some way or another. I think that that's, those are just acts of participating in a life that's like somehow divinely sparked. Yeah. So I know that that's kind of like a loose, like a very like loose way of like talking about it. My views have definitely changed and I've wound, I've wound up way more in a kind of, uh, universalist isn't quite like, like mystical, mystical. Yeah. That definitely <laughs> for sure. Mystical. Yeah. I uh, definitely wound up in a more, uh, yeah, more mystical framework for that. Cause I don't, I don't really like, I don't really like defining God. Mm. I really like, <laughs> I'd really rather talk about what I think God isn't. <laughs> and I know that that's something that we're going to address like later on. I just have a much easier time with that. 
So Richard Rohr talks about how out of necessity, all language about God is a metaphor, which I found to, uh, yeah, I found that to be a really like a, like a breath of relief and kind of fresh air um, just because it's, it takes away some of the defining pressure that we put on it. Just yeah. right out of the gate, you're sort of realizing everything I'm about to say is not going to be the thing. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be trying to paint a picture that is you know, very specific to my body, my life experience, my stories that I received and that I'm experiencing in some way. And so like... For me, I'll say the most useful stories that I still have about God, which are different than the ones I started with, are uh, God as loving presence. So a sense of divine withness. I think especially at points where life is most painful, I've found that to be one of the most profound and meaningful experiences I've had about the stories I've told myself or the stories others have told me about who or what God is, that God is incarnate witness. Will I also really relate to God as ground of being, God as source, you know, the, the uh, creative energy. I really connect with that. And then I, the, I, I'll say the last story that I really find myself leaning into is you know, God as the divine present within every human being, like that recognizable image of the divine that that you can find within every human soul. Because um, I find that that connects me to my neighbor, that changes the way I love the people that are easy to love, that changes the way I love people who are difficult to love. So again, like it, I'm really pragmatic about the whole thing because I don't feel like it's something that I can really reduced down to proving or saying something with any kind of certainty. I'm sort of left to just being like, what rings really true in my spirit? And then what is practically helpful? You know, what do these stories do? I think some stories about God have a lifetime, that they're helpful for a while. And then something will happen in your life that introduces some complexity that that idea can no longer handle. And so you have to tell a new story about what God is. And so in that way, it's it's an interesting evolution because you almost have to update, okay, like that worked and I was grateful for it until it didn't. Right. That's definitely, I think that's definitely how I think about God. So the answer I gave previously is how I'm thinking about God. But looking back at it, like I've thought God was different things at different times. And at certain times in my life that all of them were taken into the context of, of my life at the time, everything seemed equally as helpful. And at other times, you know, you find that those ideas in the past are just too small and it creates like pain spots to try to make it fit with every, like as your life gets more complex, you have to shed that skin of what God, of what God is. I don't, I don't know if that's like what you're getting at, but that's definitely how I Mm -hmm. am thinking about like, about that idea. Yeah. Rob Bell in his book, What We Talk About When We Talk About God, he also, in addition to some of the things I mentioned, talks about the idea of God being a head, 
um, which I really love that story, mostly because of its... Uh, no, I don't mean a head like the one that sits on your body above your neck. I mean, like, up ahead. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I was legitimately confused. <laughs> no, that's a good it's question. Ahead of us. <laughs> ahead of us. And the reason I like that is because I think I so often really struggled against the idea that God was somewhere behind us trying to return us to an older, to, to an old way of being. And I never, like something about that always just felt so like, like it's those people who are like, you know, we need to get back to the good old days. And then you just start to do some research and you realize like, oh, a lot of the world was enslaved during the good old days. You know what I mean? Like it's only good old days for like you know, 5% of the population or whatever. So like there is something about the idea that God is up ahead, pulling us towards more love, more inclusion, more ability to sit with complexity. It's almost like the, the continuation of our evolution as a species of like moving us forward. I love thinking about that as the energy of God pulling it, pulling us from up ahead. Ben. Cool. Yeah. I love what each one of you said. And, you know, coming into this, I I see that I've really been in this space of kind of just saying yes and. And so when I hear what each one of you respond to with that question, my first thought is just, yeah, oh, I love that. Oh, and I love that. Oh, and yeah, that like God is just so big. And so inclusive that it's all of that. So I've really enjoyed that that process of just including more and more and more and more. And that's the hearing and learning and gaining other perspectives has just been really, really powerful and really, really great. I've just really enjoyed that process. So and you guys have been a big part of it. I remember this was the question after. So I mentioned in, in the first episode that after the first time we all got together and then left and I was like, oh, I don't. I don't know what we have in common. This was the first question I came back with. I was like, okay, I want to know where everyone is on this because we're all in very different places. And it just really opened me up to, yeah, oh, and this, oh, and this, oh, and this. Yeah. One of the things that I'm hearing like a reoccurring theme with all of our stories is about the disembodiment of God, how we've taken God out of being a personhood and the freedom that's come from that. So tell me a little bit more about how metaphor has helped you to do that, or also just how do you connect to the metaphor of God in a way that is meaningful and helps that disembodiment to grow into something healthy? Well, yeah, I think that the personhood of God is a metaphor, right? And just understanding that these definitions, it, this was almost like a trick question that I set everyone up with, right? Who or what is God? Because, you know, you guys are right. As soon as you define something, you limit it. And God, whatever God is, God is beyond definition. Um, we're all just we're all just doing our best. And so these metaphors that we come up with, you know, they're helpful in some situations. They're not helpful. In others. Like you were saying, like the, Andy, they might be helpful for a time. But I never thought of God the person, like the personhood of God as a metaphor and just understanding that all of our language about God as metaphor has been really eye-opening and really freeing and really exciting. Yeah. Freeing is a good way to put that 
because so when I was younger, <laughs> I, th I think I tend to think pretty analytically about things. I remember thinking personhood of God and then being like a little too <laughs> like literal with that and trying to figure out like what the person of God is and to realize that this, those stories or the images that we get in the Bible where we talk about God being a person or we personify God, to contextualize those as metaphors is way more helpful for me to try to connect with the idea that those stories were trying to like put forth in the first place. Like I thought that was a much more helpful way than just trying to like nail the language because <clears throat> I think, I think using it, using a metaphor gives the thing itself like space to move around and be its, be its own thing. And so when we try to define stuff and I think, after years of being in like Bible college and then seminary, I think I just kind of finally got exhausted from trying to to nail the language down because it felt like it felt oppressive. And I was, you know, beginning to think, well, if I think that God is any kind of infinite or any kind of powerful or any kind of meaningful, to try to get the full grasp on that is kind of self-defeating to the idea that I'm trying to understand. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. A God you can define is not the true God. Yeah. It's certainly not a God like worth worshiping in my, in, in my book. That's really interesting. I feel like that freedom can also be expressed in a sense of creativity or playfulness. And I use that word kind of deliberately because I think there's a lot less stress or anxiety once you create some breathing room around who or what God is. When you're in that mindset of, you know, God is these certain list of things and anyone who disagrees with me is a threat and I need to spend my time proving or telling other people exactly what that is, that's such a different space. The kind of conversation you could have with somebody about God is so different when you're in a place of actual human pain or actual human shared joy. I think when we were afraid of a sky God, then I think the energy about talking about God is so charged and it's so electric, it's so fearful, it's so anxious that all of a sudden when you start to Imagine a God that is generous and loving presence and ground of being itself. Then all of a sudden your imagination takes off. You start to play with these words. You start to play with these ideas. You start to be really kind and almost like defer to people who are gaining some wisdom about God. You, it makes you really friendly towards other traditions. You know what I mean? You know, other religions who are experiencing something beautiful about the divine and something beautiful about God, something I didn't know. When that image shifted for me, I guess it made it, it made it easier for me to enjoy imagining what this could be or start to 
be more open, less anxious about those ideas. I really like the idea of playfulness. Whenever you disembody God, it creates organically a space of permission to be more fluid, going from one metaphor to the other. I no longer have to adhere to a specific ideology because I know that that's not real. God isn't actually a father. God isn't actually an all-consuming fire. God isn't actually a raging flood. Once you get to the idea of it's a, it's a metaphor, it gives you that permission to have more fun and be less afraid. A really good example, and I didn't, when I saw this, it's a painting, when I saw it, it kind of made me angry because it's one of those paintings that when you look at and you're a dumb high school student, you're like, I could have done that. Why is he famous? I could have done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you didn't, right? <laughs> and I didn't have that idea. But it's uh, Rene Marguerite. I don't know if I said his last name correctly, but it's a painting of a pipe. And underneath it, it says, this is not a pipe. When I think about the ideas that help point me towards God, it even transfer into how I connect with people. So when I think about, you know, my wife, she's 5'10", she has like beautiful blue eyes, she's a mental health professional, has a nonprofit. All of those things are my wife. None of those things are my wife. Hmm. None of the people that, how you know them, that's not them. There's so much more depth to it. Listening to couples who have been married for 30 plus years, they talk about how they're still getting to know each other. That idea is a beautiful embodiment of what it means to connect to God. That once you disconnect that my wife is none of these things while being all of these things, but really isn't any of these things. When I connect to it's not the painting isn't a pipe. When I connect to God is not X, Y, or Z. Now there's so much more depth. And now for the first time, I am authentically saying God is bigger than anything I could have imagined. Because before, it was a lie. God wasn't all that big. God was these really small boxes that I could fit him in. And they weren't even that big of boxes for any God to participate with. Now I'm actually saying it authentically and beautifully. And I just love that you chose the word playfulness because I think that that's such a good way to describe what that freedom allows you to experience in a really great way. Yeah, I love the way that you brought that in is like when you understand all these things as metaphors, you have the freedom to switch between them as you need to and as you want to. That's just a really cool way to say God is and then God isn't. God is a father. God is a mother but God is not a father or a mother. But yeah, we can switch between those metaphors as we need to and as they make sense to us. And you're right, it's playful. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. You, It's like exploring. It's divine Legos. <laughs> when I don't feel bad whenever I look at the story of young Krishna opening up his mouth and his mother seeing all of creation inside of his mouth, I don't feel blasphemous because I'm like, man, that's cool. <laughs> like, Because when I think about the Big Bang or the singularity that created the Big Bang, that all of creation was compacted into the sugar cube, when I think about that, how can I not think about God? So the idea of a God that spoke everything into existence, having all of creation in his mouth, man, there's just something really beautiful about it. And I don't have to feel guilty because I really like it.
Well, one thing I wanted to mention when you were talking, Andy, was when you're talking about like Sky God. One, I think it would be maybe helpful to kind of like flesh that idea out because I think it's a pretty common term for people in our positions to be familiar with. But I remember thinking like early on that Sky God was just like a derogatory like term reserved only for atheists. <laughs> like you never would have admitted that that's actually how you thought of God. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and because I think one of the things that the Sky God concept concept does is that Sky God slowly turns you into a brick. Because it's because it is rigid, and you're trying to make everything work for yourself, and like you actually become the focal point of Sky God, not not Sky God. But I guess when people use that term, what they're talking about is the personification of like God is an old man in the clouds that is doing specific things. He's got a plan. That plan <laughs> involved Timmy getting cancer. And, you know, people watching their children die. And, like, that's the idea that I get when people talk about Sky God is that that God <laughs> turns you slowly into a, a because he's a bick. Yeah, no, thanks for that context. And I completely agree with your definition. <laughs> yes, yeah. that, that makes, it's exactly what I'm referencing when I talk about that. You know, if I'm honest... For most of my life, some of these really toxic ideas grow side by side with the most beautiful ones. Mm. So when I still had a very sky god frame of the world, God was loving, but there was a lot of problems arising with the stories mm. about a god who was like, quote unquote, in control of everything or a god who commanded war and then... Jesus disagreed, which was confusing. You know, you started to have these, um, you know, certainly being an American, it's all baked into our American culture. Forget even our, like, you know, really Orthodox Christianity. I'm even just like, you know, the flag and the Bible holding hands. We are automatically right about God. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, like, you know, you start to get into to those issues where we start to assume that God is on our side and we mm. and we stop being self-reflective and realizing how much suffering we're causing or, um, you know, just realizing, wait, maybe the whole way that this whole thing started was problematic. All that to say, you're naming what's, what I meant by Sky God perfectly and... And I get that it's complex. Nobody out there just wants to believe in a God who's a jerk. But there are ideas that are sort of baked into some of those evangelical frameworks that over time start to reveal themselves as violent. Mm -hmm. Well, and we talk about sky God kind of lightly, but it is a really big concept. And it's we're using a really small and kind of silly term for it. But when you look at like... Calvinism, Arminianism, when you look at Southern Baptist traditions, even Catholic traditions, when you look at a lot of these traditions, the idea of a God that is way above us looking down on us, I mean, that idea starts a problem, right? It's this very condescending view. But there's so many versions of Christianity, even versions of other religions where the idea of God as this condescending, downward-looking entity is there. And so it's a big thing that, you know, even though we are kind of making light about it, it's definitely a big, a big aspect to a lot of faith traditions. You remind me of like a three-tiered universe. Like there's, there's heaven, and then there's earth, and then there's the underworld. 
Mm. And just this idea that God is above, like physically above us, only works until you realize that the earth is round and there's like a whole (laughs) universe out there. And now above is kind of a weird thing. Yeah, that, that reflection that all kind of human society had for a time. Yeah. Well, and, and this is kind of the last thing that I'll say on this specific question, but in the liturgist podcast on sin, Vishnu Das is quoting a lot of people and governing a lot of concepts. But one of the things that he touches on is the idea that most ideas aren't in their beginning toxic. So Andy, when I'm hearing you talk about these really beautiful ideas and these really toxic ideas are growing side by side, almost hand in hand, I think that that's so real for a lot of us to remember that an unchecked idea, it really can easily evolve into something toxic. And so having frameworks that you identify the creator of all things with that you identify the being or the entity or the idea that interconnects all of us without a lot of careful freedom, careful consideration. It's really easy to end up in a toxic place unintentionally. Yeah. The the rigid framework seems to lead us to that toxic place more often than not. Yeah. So I'm, this might be a crazy extrapolation here, but I keep thinking about, uh, so I think it's John 15 when John, when Jesus is, to, is it, is it John 15 where Jesus talks about, <laughs> we okay. don't know the verse yeah. <laughs> well, how, why don't you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so where Jesus talks about where, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Yep. So I used to think about that. I used to think about that idea as, well, everything's <laughs> like, everything grows out of Jesus which I don't know if I have an issue with that. Like, I think that that's fine, but I think the more helpful way for me to think about that, kind of in in reference to Andy, what you were saying from Rob Bell, um, with God being ahead and our perception of him being adaptive, to be reminded of the fact that vines also need to be pruned, At at least in the sense that our metaphors, our ideas have to be like our idea of the thing has to, it has to change in order for us to continue growing. Don't um, even get me started on horticultural metaphors. Those are like my favorite. <laughs> it's like your jam. horticulture yeah. word I can't use in this podcast. <laughs> AF. Right? All right. So, my next question for all of us keeping it light, keeping it light. Why do you believe? Which is really the heart of the question. Again, this was pulled from kind of when when we first got together and I had some questions was in your process of deconstruction, each one of you, like, why didn't you just end up at atheism? Maybe you did for a while, but or maybe you went there, but you didn't end up there. Why are you here now talking about what God is instead of just. Yeah, I tried really hard to be one. I hated God. I hated God. I hated Christians. I hated the church. I spent so much of my life hating God. I wanted to be an atheist so badly. The problem is that I couldn't stop seeing God everywhere. 
One of the ideas that I share with people when I start trying to help them experience more freedom and how they connect to the metaphor of God is I will basically explain that we are all unintentional detectives following the fingerprints of God. That everyone who is studying anything good, anything of worth, is a theologian who's becoming more intimate with God. So I was listening to one of my favorite TED Talks again for another episode, and I it was done by Jenna Levin, and she talks about the sounds of black holes colliding. She says that black holes can bang on space-time like mallets on a drum. That we can, with the technology that we have now, we're limited, but there will come a time where we can hear the echoes of cosmic evolution. And when I think about that, I can't help but think about the idea of God speaking creation into existence, and that when we turn on our radio and hear that white noise in the background, that we're listening to echoes of the Big Bang. To me, it's even in something as inane as just hearing white noise on a radio, I'm hearing echoes of the voice of God. When I look at people who can take really profound suffering and turn it into something truly beautiful and amazing, and I think about how I connect with God as this amazing horticulturalist, turning the most beautiful flowers from the most muck and manure and disgusting situations, I can't help but see God. So I spent so much of my life, and I'm even talking recently, was pretty much middle finger to the sky, angry with God. I spent a lot of my time hating him. The fortunate thing for me is that I just kept finding God everywhere. And I've had some really profound experiences that even if science can one day give me the answer for it, I'll never stop worshiping God because of it. I'll never stop. And when I say worshiping, I don't mean like on Sunday, hand in the air, you know, swaying, but not too much because we're in a church. You don't really dance too much in those things. But I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is experiencing an awe and wonder that borderlines on transcendental experience. No matter how old I am, I still experience that awe and wonder when I think about these moments. So for me, as much as I wanted to be done with God, as much as I was even at one point going to start calling myself an atheist, because how do you go to church hating God, hating the church, and hating all the people that are in the building with you, and not call yourself an atheist to at least have more integrity than calling yourself a believer? So I wanted to, but I kept experiencing God in more ways, and it never it's never stopped. There's been gaps in between it, of course. It's not like a constant 24-7 thing. But even whenever I'm far away or when I'm done or whenever I'm walking away, I still intersect, my life still intersects with God. And by the way, I know I use the he pronoun. I definitely don't think God is a man since we were talking about this earlier. But it's just force a habit. So I think, I think the reason why I'm not an atheist is largely geographical. I'll just own that. Like I think the big reason 
why I believe a lot of the things that I do is because I have had enough time to prune away things that I don't believe. But most, if not all of that, was because I am the product of the environment that I grew up in. I remember hearing people share these stories in like chapel or church and be like, I, you know, I think I, I'm pretty certain I would be like just a Christian if I was anywhere, like born anywhere, because like, how could you not be? <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty easy to not be. <laughs> You're born into a Muslim country. <laughs> like, yeah, I think largely the reason that I have um, really not been an atheist is because I, yeah, I haven't had enough time to, to, get everything out of my system yeah number one reason i think that i think that's why a belief that i still retain i keep around because it's helpful so it's interesting that we're even talking about god because like i had mentioned before we even started recording is like i'm gonna have i think i'm gonna have a hard time talking about what i think about god because i really don't think about god that much these days i'm really more concerned with how so these days I find myself more concerned about society, about myself, and how I can, if not help alleviate things, at least help not hurt things more, um, which I think is at least a little bit in line with what Jesus taught. And so I remember growing up thinking that in order to to believe you needed to really be like Jesus but the catch-22 was that in order to be more like Jesus you had to continue to believe a lot of the things that we were being told and those beliefs would get you to be more like Jesus <laughs> and I think a more helpful way is to just kind of start treating people more like Jesus and I uh, at, at, the, at the risk of really upsetting people that I <laughs> like people that I love I think the beliefs are secondary. So I'm really not even concerned whether or not I would consider myself an atheist or a believer. I think that at this stage, I don't know if I care because <laughs> I don't think that that was the point. Yeah, and that might not be helpful for other people, but that's definitely how I've been processing things for like the last probably four or five years. I really love your honesty on that, man. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Yeah, hopefully there are other people out there that are like, <laughs> I also don't uh, care that much, so, <laughs> like, I think I'm okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I really, I, I connect with that. Yeah. Yeah, I connect with a lot of what you said. I feel like we try to put belief in a lab of, like, things that we can name and test and approve or not approve, but we really, like, sooner or later, I mean, the more I learn about the way that trauma works the way that our own stories interact things are so much more experiential than scientific in that way when it comes to belief especially because these are things that we've all agreed you can't you were using metaphors for you can't completely name so i'm with you will most in that i don't worry so much about what i believe or don't believe anymore i think once i was able to start processing the beliefs that were causing me a lot of suffering, like a God who would send people to hell, a God who would sign off on suffering, like some of these major things that were really causing me a lot of pain. Um, once I sort of let go of those things, I, I did stop being concerned 
so much about beliefs at all. And it's not that I don't have any. I still do, but I don't think that they're the point. Right, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's yeah. really well said. So, like, yeah, all of a sudden it, it does become very practical of what is leading me to love. And, I mean, I think that's a fantastic way to describe God as love. So, like, I mean, if that's the name we want to give it, what a great way of describing some of these things about what it means to be human. Like, I mean, why do I still use some of these stories? Because I think it's sometimes a pretty decent way to describe these experiences that are hard to put into words of, you know, why do we experience awe and wonder? Devin, like when you describe, you know, your fascination with like the echoes of the the beginning of all things. Yeah. How can you listen to that and not feel some sort of reverence like alive in you? That's beautiful. You know, the, what a great, what a great thing to, to keep, what a great story to, to continue to, because it has a good effect on what we actually do and our, the way we treat the planet, the way that we treat each other, like that, that has direct implications on that. So for me, like, I don't want to like take away from the romanticism of belief. Maybe I do. I think I do want to take away from the romanticism. Of do you want to take away from the romanticism <laughs> or from the dating process? Because what you're describing sounds really romantic. No, yeah. What I mean by that is, it's like, I'm just okay with it being really practical. Like I'm interested that I think that the beauty of what you're describing is meaningful because it leads you to be a more loving, conscious, joyful human being. You know what I mean? It sounds a lot like unconditional love, (laughs) you know, that as you've let go of the importance on beliefs, you found unconditional love, which is kind of the whole point of like well, and Jesus and God, yeah. and you found it full circle. Right. Sorry, keep going, man. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think so. Yeah. So why you believe almost becomes a funny question because it it's not what I think about anymore. It's more like what is coming from the ideas that I have. Like I still hold pretty you know, dear to the idea that Jesus talks about, look, you can tell what kind of tree it is by the fruit it's producing. Holler to Devin's horticultural references. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, that's that's pretty wise. Like, look, what's what's coming out of this for me? And I think if we could do nothing but apply that filter to every story that we're telling ourselves and every story that we're perpetuating in our society, if we could just run that one test on it, of like, hey, is that producing? Is that producing health? Is that producing flourishing for the people around me? And, and it's got to work for everybody. That's like that's been a big thing for me. If it doesn't work for everybody, it doesn't work for anybody mm-hmm. because we're so much more interconnected than we have any idea of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I just feel like yeah, I'm really interested in what is moving me towards practicing love and. So I guess I still find a lot of beauty in things that Jesus talks about and in the way that he practices life. I think I still find myself more connected to my neighbor because I think that the divine spark is in my neighbor somehow. And if I think that is just a story I tell myself. I can't. That's a ridiculous thing to say. 
You know what I mean? If you really break down the element, what the heck is a divine spark? <laughs> I like, watch Transformers. I know exactly <laughs> what the divine spark is. <laughs> but like, it, but that story I tell myself makes me interact differently. So I'm, ah, yeah, again, not to exhaust the point, but I'm just incredibly pragmatic at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, Dev, I think Devin, the way that you, the way that you worded it, I forget exactly what you said, but you had to like let go of some of the ideas to arrive at the point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we talked about that in the words, uh, the word okay. yeah. as I'm struggling with language. <laughs> yeah. Like words are hard. Yeah. They're, words are super tough. They're hard. I don't words good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we talked about as soon as I let go of all the facts that I was concerned about and whether or not they were facts, I finally found the point. As soon as I let go of what was true and what wasn't true, I found the truth. I don't remember if I said this in a previous episode, but Brian Zahn wrote in his book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, a quote that I don't fully remember, but that I have reworded. <laughs> it roughly translates to... Um, I don't actually remember the subject of his quote, but as you're speaking, the quote that, that I've kind of taken it and, and sort of appropriated is, there is no way to love. Love is the way. Hmm. And so when you're talking about like, you don't, Andy, you don't care. And, and will you guys don't necessarily care about what the specific beliefs are. Yeah, I, I get that because those beliefs are what you have to ascend to in order to love. And you guys are saying, no, you just, you love that. That's the way there's no path that you follow to find love at the end. You just love is the path. I don't have a lot to add. I think that that's been a lot of the experiences creating a space where now I can I can be less concerned about being right or winning an argument or converting a person and just simply enjoy the person. And it's less about, you know, that idea of like speaking the truth in love. And it's more about just loving because when you love someone, you do speak the truth in love. When you love someone, you want to hear what they have to say. When you love someone, you suffer together you are joyous together. You are more peaceful when you love. I mean, all of these things that we talk about as the fruit of the spirit are start actually becoming the fruit of the spirit because it's all about just a greater intimacy and a greater relationship with our neighbor, with ourselves. And we're able to pour out love from just much healthier places. How has kind of your focus I'll call it belief and I know we're kind of yeah I'll just call it belief how has that changed how you live like in the world how you see the world and how you interact with the world well what are your thoughts man mm. uh, so to a certain extent as far as like religious belief is concerned with much less anxiety is how that's is how that's affected my life yes. um, mm. now <laughs> that's not to say anything of like of like with actual anxiety that I experience from existing <laughs> in and, and and having my specific brain but uh, as far as the religious anxiety is concerned it's 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 much less uh, I'm much less anxious I remember um, I remember like growing up thinking and uh, I, yeah, I remember thinking that 
you know, we had to, like, convert people because that was, like, what we had to do. I don't even remember if anybody, like, actually told me that. Like, I just kind of thought that's what was expected. Like, my parents never imposed that on me, like, it, but it was there. So, like, I definitely came away with that idea. And one thing that I realized, like, as I actually started putting that into practice in high school, was that not only did I not enjoy that, uh, other people also seemed to not enjoy that. <laughs> and so we all kind of became the worst versions of ourselves. <laughs> while trying to convince somebody of these things that I guess I wasn't sure about either. Um, and I, I really just kind of going back to the, the idea of like letting go is actually a helpful way of arriving. Letting go of a lot of those expectations, um, a lot of those directives that church culture places out there uh, really helped me connect more with Jesus, even if the substance of his person is something that I on most days could really kind of care very little about but the story of Jesus is still something that motivates me um, like the, the depiction of Jesus is still something that motivates me and some days the substance of Jesus is really motivating but if I'm being totally honest sometimes it's not <laughs> um, yeah I think which is all to say I'm much less stressed about those things now but since I've known you, I feel like you say that that doesn't deplete your anxiety in regular life. But since I've known you, it kind of seems like it has depleted a lot of the other anxiety that you experience just in regular life. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I guess I've become much less anxious as a person since we kind of started this exercise of speaking and, yeah. and all that. Yeah. I think the big piece to take away for all of us and for anyone who's listening is just that when, when we're talking about God, Rob Bell says it best where like no one's talking about the same thing ever. And I think that remembering that and being okay with that has been extremely helpful. At least that's what I'm picking up from everyone's stories. All right, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And a special thanks to the patrons who support the work that we do. Your support really does make the show better. If you want to connect, you can email hosts at lonelymountainmystics.com, go to the website, or check us out on Twitter. We really would love to hear from you. That's it for this episode. So on behalf of Will, Andy, Devin, and myself, thanks again, and we'll see you next time.